And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the No Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. What well, a day is February 22nd, 53rd day of the year. Only 312 days remain till the year's over with, and we get to do it all again. Holidays and observances. National Margarita Day. World Thinking Day. But of course, Congress is excluded. National Recreation Sports and Fitness Day. Supermarket Employee Day. National Chili Day. National Walking a Dog Day. World Yoga Day. National Cook a Sweet Potato Day. Be Humble Day. Introduce a Girl to Engineering Day. Single Tasking Day. Cancer Prevention Action Week. Real Red Week. Future Farmers of America Week. National Engineers Week. Birth dates. George Washington. Robert Kardashian. He didn't know what he started. And Drew Barrymore. National Black History Month. Canned Food Month. National Snack Food Month. National Children's Dental Health Month. Harley Quinn Month. National Embroidery Month. National Grapefruit Month. National Women Inventors Month. Great American Pie Month, International Vegan Cuisine Month, American Heart Month, National Cherry Month, National Bake for Family Fun Month, National Bird Feeding Month, National Hot Breakfast Month, National Library Lovers Month, Low Vision Awareness Month, National Fasting February, and North American Inclusion Week. Well, <clears throat> that having been said, 1076, having received a letter during the Lenten Synod of 14 to 20 February demanding he abdicate, Pope Gregory VII excommunicates Henry IV, Heart of Roman Emperor. God doesn't like you anymore. 1316, Battle of Picotin between Ferdinand of Mallorca and the forces of Matilda of Hainault ends in victory for Ferdinand. 1371, Robert II becomes King of Scotland, begins the Stuart Dynasty. 1495, King Charles VIII of France enters Naples to claim the city's throne. When in doubt, take over. 1632, Fernando II de Medici, Grand Duke of Tuscany, the dedicatee, receives the first printed copy of Galileo's dialogue concerning two chief world systems. 1651, St. Peter's Flood. Storm surge floods the Frisian coast, drowning 15,000 people. 1744, War of the Austrian Succession. Battle of Toulon causes several Royal Navy captains to be court-martialed articles of war to be amended. 1770, British Customs Officer Ebenezer Richardson fires blindly into a crowd during a protest in North End in Boston, fatally wounding 11-year-old Christopher Sider. First American fatality of the American Revolution. 1797. The last invasion of Britain begins near Fishguard in Wales. On this day in 1819, by the Adams on his treaty, Spain sells Florida to the U.S. for 5 million U.S. dollars. 1847. Mexican-American War. Battle of Buena Vista. 5,000 American troops defeat 15,000 Mexican troops. 
1848, French Revolution of 1848, would lead to the establishment of the French Second Republic, began on this date. 1856, U.S. Republican Party opens its first national convention in Pittsburgh. 1862, American Civil War. Jefferson Davis is officially inaugurated for a six-year term as a president of the Confederate States of America in Richmond, Virginia, previously inaugurated as a provisional president February 18, 1861. 1872, the Prohibition Party holds its first national convention in Columbus, Ohio, nominating James Black as the presidential nominee. 1879, in Utica, New York, Frank Woolworth opens the first of many five-and-dime World War stores. I spent many a happy day in Woolworths. 1881, Cleopatra's Needle, 3,500-year-old ancient Egyptian obelisk is erected in Central Park, New York. 1889, President Grover Cleveland signs a bill admitting North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, and Washington as a U.S. state. 1899, Filipino forces led by General Antonio Luna launch counterattacks for the first time against the American forces during the Philippine-American War. Filipinos failed to regain Manila from the Americans. 1904, U.K. sells a meteorological station in the South Orkney Islands to Argentina. Islands subsequently claimed by the United Kingdom in 1908. 1909, 16 battleships of the Great White Fleet, led by the USS Connecticut, returned to the U.S. after a voyage around the world. They were painted white, which is why they were called the Great White Fleet. 1921, after Russian forces under Baron Roman von Ungern Sternberg drive the Chinese out, the Bogdan is reinstalled as Emperor of Mongolia. 1942, World War II, President Franklin D. Roosevelt orders General Douglas MacArthur out of the Philippines as a Japanese victory becomes inevitable. 1943, World War II, members of the White Rose Resistance, Sophie Scholl, Hans Scholl, and Christoph Probst are executed in Nazi Germany. They were students, and their method of protest was nonviolent. Um... They resisted in many other ways other than picking up a gun and shooting somebody. 1944, World War II, American aircraft mistakenly bombed the Dutch towns of Nijmegen, Arnheim, and Schied and Deveder, resulting in 800 dead in Jemegen alone. 1944, World War II, Soviet Army recaptures Kravoy Rog. 1946, a long telegram proposing how the U.S. should deal with the Soviet Union arrives from the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. The, uh, never heard it called a long telegram before. It's known as Article 10, formerly titled The Sources of Soviet Conduct, written by George Keenan and published under the pseudonym X in July 1947 issue of Foreign Affairs. Widely introduced the term containment advocated for its strategic use against the Soviet Union. Expanded on ideas expressed by Keenan in a confidential uh, February 1946 telegram, formerly identified by Keenan State Department number 511, but informally dubbed the Long Telegram because it was so long. He had composed this Long Telegram to respond to inquiries about the implications of a February 1946 speech by Joseph Stalin. Though the speech was in line with previous statements by Stalin that provoked fear in the American press and the public. 
Time magazine called it the most warlike pronouncement uttered by any top-ranked statesman since PJ Day. It explained Soviet motivations by recounting the history of Russian rulers as well as the ideology of Marxism and Leninism. It argued the Soviet Union used the ideology to characterize the external world as hostile, allowing them to justify their continued hold on power despite a lack of popular support. There were many who thought we were going to war almost immediately. 1957, the Go Dinh Diem of South Vietnam survives a communist shooting assassination attempt in Bulan Ma Tuolt. 1958, following a plebiscite site in both countries the previous day, Egypt and Syria joined to form the United Arab Republic. 1959, Lee Petty wins the first Daytona 500. 1972, the official Irish Republican Army detonates a car bomb in Aldershot Barracks. Killed seven and injured 19 others. 1973, Cold War. Following President Richard Nixon's visit to the People's Republic of China, the two countries agreed to establish liaison offices. 1974, the Organization of the Islamic Conference Summit begins in Lahore, Pakistan. 37 countries attend and 22 heads of state and government uh, participate. It also recognizes Bangladesh. 1974, Samuel Beck attempts to hijack an aircraft at Baltimore Washington International Airport with the intention of crashing into the White House to assassinate Richard Nixon. But he was wounded by police, and as a result, he committed suicide. 1979, St. Lucia gains independence from the U.K. 1980, Miracle on Ice, Lake Placid, New York, a U.S. hockey team defeats the Soviet Union hockey team 4-3. 1983, the notorious Broadway flop Moose Murders opens and closes on the same night at the Eugene O'Neill Theater. The um, It's a play by Arthur Bicknell, described as a mystery farce. It was a notorious flop, now widely considered the standard of awfulness against which all Broadway failures are judged. And the name became synonymous with those distinctively bad Broadway plays that open and close on the same night. It had its single performance, now it had 13 previews, at the Eugene O'Neill Theater on February 22, 1983. The, uh, it was set in Adirondack Mountains at uh, the Wild Moose Lodge. Well, I guess we have to say you can't win them all. 1986, started the People's Power Revolution in the Philippines. 1994, Aldrich Ames and his wife are charged by the U.S. Department of Justice with spying for the Soviet Union. 1995, the Corona Renaissance Satellite Program. In a distant, in existence from 1959 to 1972, it's finally declassified. 1997, Rosalind Midlothian, a British scientist, announced that an adult sheep named Dolly has been successfully cloned. 2002, Angolan political and rebel leader Jonas Savimbi is killed in a military ambush. 2005, a 6.4 Zaharund earthquake shakes the 
Kermam province of Iran with a maximum Mercalli intensity of 8, which is considered severe. 612 people died and 1,411 were injured. 2006, at approximately 6.44 a.m. local Rocky time, explosions occurred at the Al-Aqsari Shrine in Samarra. That's in Iraq. The attack on the shrine, one of the holiest sites in the Shia Islam, caused the escalation of sectarian tensions in Iraq into a, what amounted to a full-scale civil war. 2006, the Securitas Depot robbery was the UK's largest heist. Almost six, uh, 53 million pounds, that's 92.5 million, um, was stolen from the Securitas Depot in Tonbridge and Kent. 2011, New Zealand's second deadliest earthquake strikes Christchurch, kills 185 people. 2011, Bahraini Arab Rising, tens of thousands of people march in protests against the death of seven victims killed by police and army forces during previous protests. 2012, a train crash in Buenos Aires, Argentina, kills 51 people and injures 700 others. 2014, President Viktor Yanukovych of Ukraine is impeached by the Verkhovna Rula of Ukraine by a vote of 328 and nothing. It uh, fulfilled a major goal of the Euro Maiden Rebellion. 2015, a ferry carrying 100 passengers capsizes in the Padma River, killing 70. 2018, a man throws a grenade at the U.S. Embassy in Podgorica, Montenegro. He dies at the scene from a second explosion. Nobody else was hurt, which raises the question what did he hope to accomplish? Well, there are those who believe that we can end crime tomorrow by changing the definition. And of course, we've got prosecutors who don't want to prosecute, citing uh, the poor upbringing of the, the criminals. Well, New York City's DA, whose name is Bragg, wanted to extradite a criminal from uh, a career criminal who's wanted in New York for the killing of a sex worker. The prosecutor in Maricopa County, uh, Arizona, refused to extradite uh, this uh, accused murderer because he's afraid that Bragg's just going to slap his wrist and let him go. I mean, he's done that to those who have injured and killed police officers in New York City. You have to wonder, if you don't want to prosecute people, why be a district attorney? Your job is to prosecute if there's a crime. Unfortunately, um, in Arizona, they got mandatory prison sentences. In New York City, especially if you're an undocumented immigrant, you get... Um, $500 a night rooms, you get room service, you get uh, debit cards that have, uh, I think they said $3,000 on them, which is more than uh, people make who've worked all their lives for retirement. And they get this for breaking the law and coming here. The... Uh, It's just crazy.
and then we've got all kinds of wrongdoing by some of our most senior officials, but that's okay because they're wonderful people and they're in the right party. The, uh, hell, even Biden's dog, Commander, uh, attacked secret service agents 24 times. But that's okay because he was mistreated as a puppy, don't you know? Well, you know, we've got, we've been talking about unsolved mysteries, and there's been a lot of them, both historical as well as, um, I guess, criminal related. We're going to talk about a few more of them today. Well, you know, some of history's most bizarre mysteries are individuals that made it all happen. <coughs> How about Emperor Queen's um, unfathomably detailed buried army of statue soldiers? Or the decadent doomed sex boats of Emperor Caligula of Rome. One of the biggest mysteries deals with the lost colony of Roanoke. Entire settlement vanished. And it's in air. Not a single clue as to what happened to the colonist. It's August 18th, 1587. Virginia Dare made history. First child born to English parents was now the United States. Born to Ananias and Eleanor Dare and the granddaughter of the settlement's governor, John White. And that's the only information known about her entire life because by 1590, she, along with everybody else in the colony, had vanished into thin air. After England's first attempt to settle in America failed, a second attempt was made in 1587 on Roanoke Island, just off the coast of modern-day North Carolina. Settlers are struggling in their new location, so not long after Virginia Dare was born, they asked the governor to go back to England for supplies and relief, maybe bring some more colonists. But unfortunately, when he got there, England's war with Spain delayed his return to Roanoke, and what was meant to be a delay of just a few months turned into an absence of three years. By the time he finally set foot in the New World again, everything and everybody in Roanoke was gone, and the ruins of the colony already overgrown by nature. Single word carved into a wooden post, Kerwatoan, was the only clue as to what happened to the colonist. White died before he could ever learn the fate of his family. Now, in the centuries since the colony of Roanoke vanished, there have been a lot of theories. Most of our speculation that the settlers were slaughtered or captured or died from disease. But PBS North Carolina explains that recent research suggests the settlers may have willingly and peacefully chosen to join a native tribe. The Croatoans, who inhabited Hatteras Island, another regional island, 
Croatoan Archaeological Society points to what they believe is a wealth of archaeological evidence in support of this theory, including the fact that a century after the settlers disappeared, English explorer John Lawson found natives with blue eyes who said they had ancestors who could speak out of a book. Now, this theory may or may not be widely accepted, but uh, the lost colony of Roanoke remains a nearly 500-year-old puzzle that's missing too many pieces to put it back together. And certainly, blue eyes is not something you routinely find among the tribes. At least not at that point in time. Well, let's go to Northern Europe and talk about bog bodies. When you look at Tolan Man's face, you could be looking at somebody you know. His features, the, the wrinkles around his closed eyes, the creases in his pressed lips, the stubble on his chin, they're all familiar. Might appear to be in a peaceful slumber if his skin wasn't such an unnerving, lifeless color, revealing the absence of something it used to be but didn't anymore. And a rope around his neck actually explains how he died 2,300 years ago. But other than that, the rest of his life is up for speculation. Currently, he rests behind glass at the Silkborg Museum in Denmark. Discovered in a bog, his body preserved so well that even his fingertips could be printed and analyzed. Well, Tolan Man may be the best preserved, but he's only one of about a thousand bog bodies found to date across uh, northern Europe. According to National Geographic Education, bog bodies are able to uh, avoid normal decomposition thanks to a chemical interaction between moss and peat and water in the bogs that creates an antiseptic environment conducive to preserving flesh. Thousands of years between their lives and ours, much of the bog people's story remains a complete and unsolvable mystery. According to life science, the evidence points to at least some bog bodies being likely to remains of ritualistic sacrifices. Some are probably burials of deviants or executed criminals, and others are likely a result of accidental deaths such as drownings in these waterly environments. Well, the oldest bog body yet discovered was a woman believed to have died about 10,000 years ago. And a few bog bodies of Native Americans have even been found in Florida, so the bogs of the world may yet yield new secrets. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the segment about the Emperor Quinn's uh, buried army. We're going to talk some more about that now. You know, these... Statues of soldiers have stood their ground for some 2,200 years. It all began when well diggers in northwest China stumbled across what appeared to be a cavernous underground world in 1974. It would all become one of the most significant archaeological finds ever made. Researchers determined this below-ground realm as a mausoleum prepared to honor Quan Shi Huang Di, who proclaimed himself the first emperor of China in 221 B.C. So if to ask yourself, what makes this mausoleum so amazing? Well, there's an unbelievably large stoner army of nearly 8,000 
Life-size terracotta soldiers, each detail the unique clothing and features and faces. And according to Smithsonian Magazine, these soldiers are joined by bronze chariots and horses and realistically um, formed waterfowl crafted from bronze and serenaded by terracotta musicians. And there's even troops of acrobats. United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, when it's not busy uh, supporting terrorists around the world, says archaeologists have determined that construction on this site began about 246 B.C. They said workers from every province of the empire worked unceasingly till the death of the emperor in, 20, in 210 B.C. in order to construct a subterranean city for him. Notably, the emperor's tomb itself hadn't been excavated yet. But significant evidence exists to suggest that it contains uh, equally mind-blowing artifacts. National Geographic predicts it could contain, for example, replicas of the area's rivers and streams made with mercury flowing to the sea through hills and mountains of bronze. Chinese archaeologists uh, are using modern technology to safely uncover and understand the rich world of mysteries that remains buried here, protected by the eternal vigilance of Quinn's buried army. And then we've got the Mask of Agamemnon. It's an indisputably old relic that actually um, touches the mythical. Located within an easy one-and-a-half-hour drive from Athens on mainland Greece is the heartland of ancient Mycenaean uh, culture and a site where a revered 19th-century German archaeologist found in 1876 what he believed to be the death mask of Greek hero Agamemnon. Now, archaeologists do agree that this mask, made of pure gold, is a a death mask that typically signifies royalty or wealth. So you have to ask yourself, what makes this mask a mystery? Well, it turns out Agamemnon was a mythical hero, not a historical one. He may never have existed. So how is it that his death mask was found? Well, it can be tricky to peel Greek mythology away from Greek history because the two intersect and overlap so intricately. In the 9th or 8th century B.C., the great Greek poet Homer authored the epic poem Iliad in which the Greek king Agamemnon led his people to a famous victory against Troy. But Agamemnon and the Trojan War were tales from Greek mythology that have never been confirmed through independent evidence. According to uh, World History Encyclopedia, Agamemnon's a hero from Greek mythology. There are no historical records of a Mycenaean king by that name. And the Greek city was a prosperous one in the, the Bronze Age and there perhaps was a real, although much shorter, Greek-led attack on Troy. Now, both of these propositions are uh, supported by archaeological evidence. But the existence of Agamemnon, specifically, and Homer's account of a prolonged Trojan War haven't been confirmed. And scientists have determined that the gold funerally masking question uh, predates when Agamemnon would have lived by at least 400 years. So you have to ask yourself, who actually wore this expensive and elaborate golden mask after his death, if not the legendary hero Agamemnon? Well, we may never have an answer to that question, but uh, even without its owner identifying, humanity still believes this mask holds inherent value in providing evidence about Mycenaean culture 
its commerce and the art of the late Bronze Age. Well, to this day, that mask is still called the Mask of Alchemimnon, and a replica will be found in the New York City's Metropolitan Museum of Art. Be interesting to know who actually posed for it. Well, another mystery that there have been so many solutions put forth, none of which has any validity. Who was Jack the Ripper? The world's first serial killer. Never caught, never even identified. Well, when history and murder mystery collide, you can keep an audience captivated for 135 years and still counting, frankly. Generations of people have succumbed to the intrigues generated by the shockingly gruesome, still unsolved Jack the Ripper murders in Victorian London. Our enduring interest in the world's most morbid whodunit is partly because the crimes are so ghastly, partly because the potential suspects represent such a wild cross, wide and wild cross-section of life in Victorian Britain, and partly because it's unsolved, kind of mystery people are utterly incapable of resisting. Well, we're going to delve into the historical facts as well as some new takes informed by modern science to see if the world's any closer to identifying the world's first famous serial killer. Well, before we go to the who, let's talk about the what. What did Jack the Ripper actually do? I've heard all kinds of things laid at his doorstep, from four murders up to 11. Well, in 1888, somebody murdered five women in the Whitechapel section of London by slitting their throats and horrifically mutilating their bodies. And the murderer may have engaged in gruesome taunting. Somebody mailed half a human kidney to the president of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. And there may have been other victims as well. But authorities could only directly link the five cases. History Channel says the name Jack the Ripper came from a signed letter, which may or may not have been a hoax, sent to police and published after the first attack. It's believed he was a man of some experience with butchery or medicine, based on his exacting brutalization of his victims' bodies, according to the Crime Museum. That's the website counterpart to a Washington, D.C.-based resource for crime-related information. Hundreds of names are put forth as potential suspects by professional and amateur sleuths. That's uh, the time and over the years since, with most suggestions based on uh, weak or uh, insufficient evidence. However, there are about a dozen suspects who remain primary contenders for the various reasons. Of those dozen, four men uh, lead the way. Uh, there's a Montague Druitt, a uh, Whitechapel local attorney and part-time teacher, interested in surgery who had been described as sexually insane. November-December of 1888, he was hastily fired from his teaching position and committed suicide. And the murder stopped. Actual physical evidence against him is sparse, but his own family said they suspected him. And then there's Carl Fagenbaum, a German merchant sailor who went by multiple aliases, reportedly confessed to mutilating women, was later convicted in the U.S. of brutally murdering a woman in 1894. After his execution for that crime, his attorney publicly declared he believed his client was Jack the Ripper and said he could confirm Fagenbaum had been in London during the time of the Whitechapel murders. 
Then there's Walter Richard Secret, London-based artist known for painting prostitutes who uh, said they've been rendered impotent uh, after surgical procedures. Though among the known suspects for decades, he catapulted to the top of the list after American crime novelist Patricia Cornwall wrote a detailed investigation into Jack the Ripper in which she stated researchers had identified Secret through mitochondrial DNA. In all accounts, Cornwell's take is a fascinating read since she's a talented writer capable of adeptly uh, handling an engaging, complex story like this one, but her conclusion is not without its detractors. Argue, for example, that mitochondrial DNA only narrows the field for potential matches. Then we have Aaron... Kosminski, Polish laborer and uh, barber in the Whitechapel, allegedly hated women, particularly prostitutes, and was ultimately committed to an insane asylum for homicidal tendencies. Primary suspect at the time of the murders, he was identified by researchers in an article published in the Journal of Forensic Sciences uh, stating that Mats Kaminsky's familiar DNA to a blood and semen stained shawl retrieved from a, vic- a ripper victim. Well, Unfortunately, we'll probably never definitively know Jack the Ripper's identity. There have been some phenomenal investigative work over the last 150 years, and many resources are well worth your time and uh, energy if um, you've got an interest. But every major theory, including the most recent ones linking Sickert and Kaminsky to these crimes through DNA, is equally uh, forceful detractors pointing to evidence purporting to refute those claims. In fact, it might be fair to say that continued attempts to identify the suspects have only heightened the controversy and deepened the mystery. At this point, closing in on 150 years after the crimes, seems uh, likely there'll never be a definitive answer, and history's most notorious unsolved serial murders will remain one of our most macabre puzzles. Well... There's also been the question, did Jack the Ripper's victims get a fair portrayal? There's a well-received book by British social historian Hallie Rubenhold that argues uh, that's not the case, including her counter-take on the standard narrative that all five of Jack the Ripper's uh, confirmed victims are prostitutes. She wrote a book called In the Five, Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper. And she explained that the historical record shows that only one victim had been actively um, soliciting uh, as a prostitute at the time of her death. One of the other women periodically solicited, and three of them were not prostitutes at all, according to her take on it. Rubenhold argues that this myth flourished in the first place as a consequence of the misogynistic and class-based prejudices characteristic of the Victorian era. Winner of the Bailey Guilford Prize for nonfiction and a Goodreads Choice Award for History and Biography, The Five dives deeply into the lives of these women. They wrote ballads, ran coffee houses, and lived on country estates, breathed ink dust from printing presses, and escaped human traffickers. And her research was aimed to give these women back their stories, and by all accounts, she did that. But it does raised some interesting questions. Why were they where they were killed if they weren't soliciting? Well, 
Let's talk about the buried Osberg Viking ship. It's actually one ship and two corpses. And it's a long way to the sea. Now, there's nothing like finding a Viking ship exactly where you expect it to be. In the middle of a remote farmland in Norway, but... Uh, There were some interesting questions raised. In 1903, a complete, remarkably well-preserved wooden Viking ship was found beneath an enormous burial mound, and continued research is revealing additional secrets. Sky History, a UK website, says the find is a type of Viking longship called a carve, K-A-R-V-E, which measured about 70 feet long by 16 feet wide and would have been rowed by up to 30 men. This particular example, excavated far from the shore in Norwegian farm country, didn't have oars or rowers, but it did have two mysterious corpses uh, hidden in it. Ashley Geographic explains the bodies were of women, one in her 70s, another in her 50s, with both bodies in the boat dating from about 834 B.C. Now, from analysis of the boat and its belongings, historians' best guess is the boat barrels an elaborate funeral rite for somebody of royal stature. Some believe one of the women could be King Queen Asa, grandmother of Harold I, first king of a united Norway. That's according to National Geographic. Researchers can't tell who had the, the wealth and the status, but uh, if one victim was a non-royal, she may have been sacrificed for the royal burial. Now, this enigma is further complicated by mysterious items found at the burial site. On the boat was a beautifully designed cart, the only Viking Age cart found so far. Three decorated sleighs, an array of lavish textiles, five elaborately carved animal heads, beds, and other everyday items such as farming tools and combs. As well as the bones from 15 horses, six dogs, and two ox. Researchers also found a bucket depicting two people sitting in a lotus position, uh, which some now call the Osberg Buddha. Norway's a long, long away from the homeland of Buddhism, but the Vikings journeyed as far as the Black Sea and the Mediterranean, so Buddhist influence is not the question. Problem is, we'll probably never know for sure. But it is a fascinating mystery to contemplate. Well, let's talk about Caligula's suck ships. Roman Emperor Caligula is not what you'd call a nice guy. He was Rome's third ruler. Only reigned for four years before getting himself assassinated. But he made quite a lasting impression in that short span of time. The mean, murderous, vengeful dictator, who may have had a mental illness, declared himself a god and appointed his horse to office, among other stunts. Discover Magazine's website said it had a penchant for sadism, hedonistic excess, and brutality. And nowhere in his evil decadence is more evident than in the three luxurious sex party ships he had built. Floating pleasure palaces that allowed the emperor to treat his party guests to every degenerate act that could be imagined, all while being rowed around a picturesque lake by rows of slaves. Well, historians have called Caligula's sex ships the, the Nemi ships after the lake just south of Rome where they were discovered. Now, there'd been rumors about their existence for over 2,000 years, spurred by stories of fishermen pulling strange Roman artifacts from the lake over the centuries. 
But after several failed retrieval attempts, Benito Mussolini, Italy's 20th century fascist dictator, drained the lakes and discovered two of the three legendary ships. According to the archaeology website, ancient origins, these ships were 230 feet long and wildly um, ornate. And the find was important, as Discoverer explained. It was thought the Romans were incapable of building such large ships. And the Nemi ships housed remarkable artifacts, including vast anchors and bronze moldings and marble statues, ornamental oar rings and joints in copper and bronze. There were carvings and mosaics, even gilded copper roof tiles. Unfortunately, at the end of World War II, the Germans set fire to the museum that held the Nemi ships. Only some of the bronzes survived, along with a handful of photographs of the colossal wrecks. Rumors of that third ship persist, though, and while the 2017 attempt to locate it came up empty, some believe it may have been buried under a rock slide that only impacted one side of the lake. It'd be nice to, to find that third ship. Now let's talk about the uh, what's called the Octavius ghost ship. There have been long been questions: Are the is it a mystery frozen in time, or just a ghost story that never really existed? Well, in 1761, an impressive ship called the Octavius left London, had a full crew, captain's wife and child, and a, a hole filled with goods bound for China. After delivering the cargo, Octavius' captain made the fateful decision to attempt to return to London through the Northwest Passage across the Pacific Ocean and up around Alaska through uh, northern Canada. Now, this endeavor, according to the History Channel, was a hazardous journey through thousands of giant icebergs. It was so risky that no ship had ever pulled it off. The captain may have been driven by a desire to be the first ship to do that, but Unfortunately for him, the story didn't end well. Ship entered the Northwest Passage and wasn't heard from for the next 13 years. Well, on October 11, 1775, the Octavius was discovered by a whaling vessel between Canada and Greenland. It made it through the Northwest Passage, but it was frozen in the ice. When the crew from the whaling vessel boarded a ship and went below deck, uh, what they found was certainly disconcerting. All the crew members were frozen solid, sitting or laying exactly where they were when they were once uh, living below deck. Each crew and family member was there, but dead and frozen in place, as if the freezing had happened in a matter of seconds. Captain's wife and child were huddled together under blankets as if they had taken a quick nap. One sailor sat nearby, still holding a tinderbox as if he was trying to warm them all before succumbing to the fatal temperatures himself. Eriest of all was the captain, who the uh, the archaeologist uh, explained was seated at his desk, pen in hand with the ship's logbook open on the desk in front of him. The inkwell and other everyday items are still in their places on the desk. Well, the terrified whaling crew is said to have grabbed the logbook and fled, but in their haste they lost some of the inner pages of the log, successfully retrieving only the early and final entries. And to add further intrigue, not only is there no rational explanation for how the sailors came to be frozen as if in mid-action, but there's, there's also no historical evidence of the Octavius' existence at all beyond the story. 
However, there is an almost identical story involving a ship called the Gloriana that was said to have been discovered in November 11, 1775. Main's unknown whether the ships were the same ship or whether either one of them even existed. And, of course, there is a third option. Maybe there's a phantom ship full of the ghosts of sailors who once sailed it, appearing and disappearing to be rediscovered now and then by new vessels. Something to certainly consider. And then, of course, one of my favorite stories, the, the Mary Celeste, which has long been called a ghost ship. I mean, the ship was fine, but the crew vanished. Unlike some of the the ghost ship stories that uh, people talk about, Every detail of the story of the Mary Celeste is supported by the historical record. And it's a mystery to this day. Scholars continue to pursue the details in the hopes of understanding what exactly went wrong. According to history hit uh, 1872, uh, American ship Mary Celeste was spotted floating aimlessly off the coast of Portugal. No sign of the crew on board and the ship's only lifeboat was missing. Now the obvious conclusion, of course, was that the crew had abandoned ship. But if that's the case, why'd they do it? Cargo was in the hole. Ship wasn't damaged in any way. In fact, it remained in service for years after it was sailed back to shore. So why would an experienced captain, his wife and child, and his dedicated crew abandon a structurally sound vessel in the middle of the ocean? Well, none of the people originally on board were ever seen again or heard from again. But according to the website History Hit... Many theories have taken root over the years, including strong accusations of insurance fraud since it was a commercial vessel carrying barrels of alcohol. The nature of the cargo itself lent itself to speculation. Crew may have feared an imminent explosion due to alcohol vapors, alcohol-related mutiny, or pernicious influences like murder, pirates, and even sea monsters. Over 10 years ago, Smithsonian Magazine detailed the work of the documenter and uh, Annie McGregor who took on the mystery of the Mary Celeste. Her meticulous research led her to conclude the ship likely had faulty navigational equipment, a clogged pump, and a series of rough seas that caused the captain to steer off course and erroneously believe the ship was sinking. According to Smithsonian Magazine, the captain wouldn't have known how much seawater was in his ship's hull, which was too fully packed for him to measure visually. Now, with no trace of the crew or direct clues as to the disappearance, our knowledge of how the Mary Celeste became a ghost ship is, uh, at best guess, speculation. But the phenomena has stoked enough interest over the years to inspire McGregor's documentary, The True Story of the Mary Celeste, and a, a barely ghostly classic from uh, 1935, The Mystery of the Mary Celeste, and a 2020 horror movie, The Haunting of the Mary Celeste. You never know what you're going to get. Well, you know, some of the most powerful people who ever lived vanished. They're, where they're buried is a complete mystery. You know, the names Alexander the Great, Cleopatra, and Attila the Hun are familiar to most people. Even if we're a little spotty on the details. The fact that they still exist 
inspiring media name recognition thousands of years after they walked the earth is a testament to the massive impact they had on civilization. Even if there's as much legend as fact mixed into their stories. So how is it possible that these world-famous titans who rule vast empires could leave no trace? How can we know everything about them except where their bodies are buried? You know, Alexander the Great, the great uh, Macedonian king, was a larger-than-life persona and leader, believed by most, including himself, to be the actual son of the Greek god Zeus. His mother convinced him that uh, she had had relations with Zeus. He's described as charismatic and ruthless, brilliant and power-hungry, diplomatic and bloodthirsty. Alexander inspired such loyalty in his men that would follow him anywhere and, if necessary, die in the process. Now, his men didn't spend long in the shadow of their powerful leader because Alexander died at the young age of 32. At least, he is said to have died. It's now believed he may have had a condition that caused him to actually become paralyzed. He was still there even when they buried him. His cause of death, along with the location of their body, has been a long-standing mystery with eyewitness accounts claiming his body didn't begin to decompose for six days. And if it's true that he actually was, in effect, paralyzed, he wasn't dead. That's why his body didn't decompose. Now scholarship is shedding light on both of these ancient mysteries. With respect to his cause of death, a new theory has emerged um, that proposes Alexander died of a rare autoimmune disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which slowly paralyzed him. As I said, that would explain his seemingly prolonged death without decomposition in the final days of paralysis. And with respect to the location of his body, when Alexander died in 323 B.C., his body was initially buried in Memphis, Egypt. Soon moved to Alexandria, which is also in Egypt. Although ancient writers described the tomb, its location in relation to the modern city remains a mystery, according to the archaeologists, a site for daily archaeology news. There are records of nearly 140 officially sanctioned excavations, but all failed to turn up his uh, gravesite. Ancient city of Alexandria is plagued by repeated natural disasters, and somewhere over the years his tomb was lost and forgotten. May even be underwater. Currently two dedicated archaeologists are working to locate the tomb. One at a funerary monument in the Shiva Oasis in Egypt, and the other in Alexandria at the promising ancient uh, recent discovery at the ancient royal quarter. Certainly it would be a coup to find uh, his grave. Well, how about Cleopatra? Famed for her legendary charm, her relations with Julius Caesar, Mark Anthony, and the disturbing tale of her suicide by snake. Cleopatra's enduring reputation as the last queen of Egypt is well earned. This wildly intelligent queen spoke as many as a dozen languages, educated in mathematics, philosophy, oratory, and astronomy. Egyptian sources later described her as a ruler who elevated the ranks of scholars and enjoyed their company. She was married and murdered her siblings. Interestingly enough, most of her weddings were two siblings. Her final moments in 30 B.C. are well known. She held her dying husband, Roman General Mark Anthony, and then allowed a venomous snake, an ass, to, to bite her. She didn't want to be captured. But what happened next? According to ancient writers, she was buried with Anthony in a mausoleum though there's no clear evidence indicating where that tomb might be. 
Ongoing research, bolstered by intensive excavation, uh, indicates the tomb might be in Taposiris Magna, a location just outside of Alexandria, Egypt, but then again, nobody knows for sure. And finally, where's Attila the Hun buried? He was another kind of ruler altogether. Alexander the Great and Cleopatra remember for their charm, leadership, and wiles. Attila was known for the barbarity, ruthlessness with which he conquered vast lands. He was the leader of the Hunic people, nicknamed the Scourge of God, best known for his persistent extort, um, extortion of and brutal attacks on the Roman Empire. Circumstances around his death are known, but the actual cause isn't. On his wedding night, one of many, I mean, he was 58 years old, he was uh, discovered lifeless in the wedding chamber in the arms of his weeping new bride. And there was evidence of excessive alcohol consumption and a bloody nose. So it's generally thought that one of two things happened. Either he died due to a freak accident when she passed out and choked to death on his own blood, or his new bride was actually an expert assassin. Legend of Attila's funeral tells of him being mourned and buried inside three caskets. The outermost was made of gold, the second of silver, and the, I'm sorry, the innermost was gold, the second was silver, and the outermost made of iron, according to live science. The gold and silver signified the wealth Attila had gained in, to, for the Huns, while the iron signified the Huns' military might. According to one legend, a river was diverted, Attila's body buried in the riverbed, and the water diverted back so the river would flow eternally over his grave. And whether or not that happened, there's a general consensus that the men charged with burying his body were subsequently killed, taking their knowledge of its whereabouts to their own graves. It is believed Attila was buried somewhere in Hungary. Inaccurate, even hoax findings have surfaced over the centuries, but uh, the actual site's never been found. You know, Alexandria did have a royal quarter, but it's been lost. Alexander the Great, uh, Alexander the Great, died so long ago it was hard to know where to start looking. But that's all changed as archaeologists have at last relocated Alexandria's uh, ancient royal quarter, also known as the Bruchium or Greek district. Website Ancient World says uh, the district once housed the luxury homes of Greek courtiers, millionaires, ambassadors, and the highest generals in the army all of whom had both the clout and the money to build the best that Alexandria could offer. The quest to lo locate and uncover this section of the ancient city includes the hopes of finding Alexander's uh, elusive tomb. Devoted uh, Greek archaeologist uh, Calliope Linnaeus Papacosta undertook a long, steady journey of nearly 15 years searching in a public park before finding clues that led it to the city's ancient royal quarter which is located 35 feet beneath the modern city. Papacosta is uncovering more and more of the city's ancient royal quarter, including a Roman road and the remains of a massive public building that could point to Alexander's tomb. And if she does find it, that'll make her one of the best-known archaeologists in history. Well, we come to the end of today's show. When we come back tomorrow, we'll be talking about secret places. Sacrificial theaters and lost cities, underground labyrinths, well worth exploring. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. <laughs>